It is the Anfield Wrap. It's Neil Atkinson with Mo Stewart, with Sean O'Donnell and with Stu Wright to talk about Liverpool going to Brighton and winning by two goals to nil. Uh, also to talk, obviously, about Mo Salah and to talk about Arsenal away. An absolutely packed show. Uh, thank you very much. If you came to the live show in Brighton on Friday night, a lot of uh, fun was had by all. First one of them we've done in two years and we're doing three more of them in Ireland coming up in Belfast, in Cork and in Dublin. Uh, international weekend for that one, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, check it all out on the Anfield Wrap social. Also download the app for everything you need as Liverpool go game by game by game by game in what is shaping up to be an absolutely phenomenal season. And that comes out, I think, in the, the manager's post-match, um, Stu. I'm not saying he feels as though this is one that Liverpool got away with because that just wouldn't be true. Uh, Liverpool were much the better side, but he was interested as to how he articulated the idea that he likes watching Brighton, but I don't like playing them, he said. And I think that the, there's a lot of mutual respect in the game early, but I think Jurgen Klopp will have had his eye on this one as one where maybe, just maybe, things could go wrong and Liverpool made sure they very much didn't. He's clearly a really good manager, Potter, isn't he? And um, it'd be it'd be fascinating to see what he could do with with maybe a bigger club. No disrespect to Brighton, with with more money in the bank, because you know they've got a clear um, set way of playing. It's very intelligent. It's very hard to break through. They cause the opposition problems, but where it breaks down time and time again for them, I think is that quality in the final mm. third and. Mm. And eventually, and we we see it at the moment that they're in a bit of a slump. Is it four or five games now without oh. a win? And uh, I think eventually, for teams like that, no matter how good the build-up play is, there will come a time where there's a, a knock-on impact of confidence that radiates through the rest of the team when the front lads aren't, aren't you know, putting the ball in the back of the net. And I think that's where they are at the moment. But that's that's no slight on Potter, um, and I can completely understand why Klopp doesn't relish these mm. games. Um, and, and you know, I think. We all saw that how Brighton started the game. They were they were snapping into us. They were you know great pressure on the ball and they caused us a few problems. Um, but ultimately, without that being able to capitalise in the final third, that soon dissipated once Liverpool started mm. to strangle the game. And I, and I do think that Liverpool did largely strangle that game. It's striking to me, Sean. Just having gone through the the numbers this morning uh, for some of the stats work we do. They had a shot on the eighth minute. Uh, their next shot is the one immediately after half time with Trossard, where it looks like Morpé handles it in the build up. Then the next shot is in about the eighty sixth minute. From ten, my point being, from ten to eighty five, Liverpool make sure the game belongs to them, and obviously the goal's important in that. Yeah, they do, and it's it's the classic, you know, a goal changes a game. I mean, maybe not so much yesterday, but I felt like the goal really did change it for us, and it changed it for them because I thought you saw them sort of slipping back into the shell a little bit. Um, I thought I thought they started really well. They were really bright. I was I was a bit worried to be honest at the start because I thought we looked like we played the amount of games that we have played in, in the last in the last few <laughs> weeks. Um, but I think you know credit credit to us and credit to Klopp the way he sort of set them up to really come out and and strangle the game as Stu says because you think about you know the midfield you know Naby we'll come on to talk about how good he was yesterday. Um, but you know brave shouts just just brave shout going with him I think and, and not going with Thiago yesterday because I think it was the type of game where Thiago might have you know been on the ball and having the ball a bit more when you're going to be pressed is, is not the worst thing in the world so you know fair place to the way we come out and you know after the goal I thought we were brilliant it's about as consummate as a nil two you yeah. can get Mo and, and nil you know is reminiscent of a, of a Benitez on Mourinho sort of two nil away whilst they were going for, for titles thinking back sort of 15 years or mm -hmm. so ago where you get your goal 
you ensure that not a great deal else happens if you need to. And then at some point, you will get your opportunity to get your second. And it often comes in that patch, doesn't it, between 50 and 65, 50 and 70. And then all of a sudden, the opposition are looking at each other like, oh, this is this is setting the stars. There's nothing we can do. Yeah, it's almost like the perfect time to score is just like between 15 and 20 minutes into a half. And we did it in both halves. And that was the perfect time to, like you say, start making Brighton think about, okay, well, this game is going to start slipping away from us. But from our perspective, it didn't allow us to start feeling like, okay, we're not capitalising on this good period of play from us because the first real chance we had, we scored it. And then in the second half, it was a bit bitty to begin with. And then we had that wave where it was one, two, three. And then immediately after Salah hits the post, we get the penalty. And then that's it. Okay, we've done it now. And from there, we're able to click into that containment mode, which we are looking really good at. And the thing that's pleasing me, we're looking good at it with a variety of cast of characters in the team. Everybody knows that game now and can perform it. And so it was a lot more comfortable. Like I was looking at some stats as well. I was surprised Brighton actually had more of the ball. Mm. And when you think about the way we normally control the ball in games, and I think they even said in commentary, it was hard for Brighton to get rhythm because we've always got the ball. But we didn't really need the ball to control them. We just controlled the space so well. And again, that's testament to everybody knowing their place and knowing their role. You, you, you talk about them knowing that controlling the space and controlling the game by controlling the space. I think a big part of that, Mo, is he was excellent yesterday, is the outball threat of Diaz. Mm-hmm. That ultimately, Brighton know that you look at that three, all three of them, uh, but we'll, we'll start focusing on Diaz. Brighton can't go where they'd like to go. They can't all go where they want to go because there's always going to be that threat in behind. Mm-hmm. And as they're trying to do more of that as the game wears on in that second half period, especially yeah. more and more Diaz is just able to firstly work really hard, be part of the team unit. But then as soon as there's the opportunity, position himself and threaten Brighton. He's alive to that. I mean, I don't know whether or not that's the one thing that they've drilled into him on the training ground more than anything else is in be alive in counter-attack situations. But it, he has always been there ready to... and not just to be in position to collect the ball, but able to collect the ball. Sometimes they've played like long 40-yard passes to his chest. He's controlled it instantly and then carried the ball and then found a red shirt again. I mean, this is the second Premier League game in a row where my favourite moment was a Diaz run from his own half to the second half. And the thing that I love the most about both of them is they both produced a shot for Liverpool. And that's as important as the run itself because when you're a defender, if you think you've got a guy who just runs down blind alleys, you're going to cover him, but you're going to think, okay, I can still cheat a little bit because chances are by the time we get there, he's going to get flustered. This guy is there and he's doing the right thing time and time again. So the opposition can't really, um, they can't afford to leave him open, but then if they do block him, there's, there's two other guys. He's constantly available, Sean. That was the thing I could see in the ground yesterday. He feels, obviously, he's deeper than Salah. Salah tends to be Liverpool's player. That's the furthest forward. He also feels in patches deeper than when Mane's played that position recently as well, in that he constantly wants to come and get on the ball. But then he has got that threat of spinning and running away as well at any given moment. I think it's... I think he, he looks to me like he will be a nightmare, an absolute nightmare to play against if you're the right back. Yeah, he does. He's a, he's a reminder of in life, really. If you ever think you can't improve on something, you always can. <laughs> because I think, you know, looking at when we had, you know, the front three and Jossie, you think this is like the best attacking, you know, team in, in, in Europe. And then all of a sudden we had Diaz and we look like a level above that. It, it's crazy. I think a lot of the, you know, the deepness is to do with his pace and the way he carries the ball. Um, I can't believe how much the ball just sticks to him when he's running the pace. Um, you know, spoke touched on Jossie there. That's 
that's one of his main strengths. But Diaz looks like he can do it and some. Um, I think the way the way you know he tracks back. I think Klopp had a go at him early in the first half about him not tracking back when he lost the ball. It was right by him, and after that, he was he was always the one furthest back, tracking back, winning the ball back, getting the ball going again. I think it's just really exciting, and and I can't wait to see how it all all develops. He's brilliant for the goal. Um, it should be a red stew, uh, but. <laughs> You know, I think the video, I actually think the video assistant referee stitched the referee a little bit there, where it's one where he should be telling some. You need to look at this angle from the, behind the goal on the monitor here. You know, I really do think the responsibility for that one is on the video assistant referee. But he's brilliant for it, and he switched on. He makes that run constantly in the game. I think he's he switched on. He's looking to bring people into play, and that to me is the most exciting part. He's able to carry the ball at unbelievable pace. It sticks to him, as Sean says, and I think in part because of his technique, it means his heads up. He knows where everyone is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's amazing for the goal. I mean, he, he's arriving there in the centre-forward position, which is just testament to his constant movement. Um, by the way, we can't talk about the goal without talking about Joel, Joel Matip, who is turning into Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> he's, he's unbelievable, Joel Matip. All this talk, I listened to yourself on the... Um, in the post-match yesterday talking about Van Dijk and, and how he is so far and above everybody else in world football. And that may, be, may well be true, but to me, the second player on that list is Joel Matip. And I think he is closing that gap with the way he plays. It's, um, it's been revolutionary. It's, it's, it's had me thinking about Liverpool's structure. I know I'm digressing a little bit from the Diaz thing, but so just bear with me. But I remember when, um, do you remember back, back in the day when, when Sven was England manager and there was this toying of David Beckham playing in the quarterback position mm. in the midfield? Liverpool have quarterbacks, but they don't play in the midfield. Liverpool's quarterbacks play, play in the defence. If they want a big switch to the left, a long switch to the left, it's, it's coming from uh, Van Zij. If they want a big switch... Sorry, a big switch to the right is coming from Van Dijk. If they want a big switch to the left, it's coming from Trent. If they want to run the attack, it's going through Joel. I mean, the options are... Ju- and if they want to pass it, it's going through Fabinho. The options from that back line, from an attacking point of view, is ridiculous. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Um, and, and when Joel, Joel makes that run, the opposition, it, it, it does break any kind of plans that they have because that's not part of their defensive plan mm. to, to cope with this fella running with the ball. Um, what a player! But if you know, for Diaz, I'm in serious danger of hitting complete fanboy territory at this stage. <laughs> he is Embrace unbelievable, it, and the the thing is about him as well. I'm sorry, Neil. I'm, I'm really tired of talking about incompetence uh, around people like Stuart Atwell and and, and how the way VAR is done. So I'm, I'm trying to swerve it a little bit. But when I look at at Diaz, I think. At this point, we've only had him a couple of months, but he looks like he can do everything. So what's your move if you're you're the fullback? You show him on the outside, well, he's going to skin you on the outside and whip the ball in. Show him on the inside, well, he's made up with that because he'll be through on goal. He can head the ball, the ball sticks to him. As you said, Sean, no matter where it comes from, it sticks to him. He is a terrifying prospect. And I find it really funny that the news out of um, Colombia this week is that Espria said that... Um, that he's playing within himself because he's riddled by fear and anxiety of playing for Liverpool. And if that is the case, we have got some player on our hands there. Um, yeah, so brilliant for the goal, just a brilliant all-round player, and it could well be the spark that provides the final kick for this season. Just, I want to come back to the, it's this idea of the outlet for me. So it's 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 obviously, yesterday, it is obviously a stark comparison 
between him and Lamptey in terms of an aerial ball. I mean, Lamptey is amongst the smaller fullbacks in the country by some distance. I'm always surprised whenever I actually watch Lamptey play in person because I'm like, yeah, you can't be an actual footballer. <laughs> uh, but he is one, and he is, you know, he's got terrifying pace, unbelievable technique. I think he looks a bit short of confidence, to be honest, at the minute. Lamptey doesn't look quite like the player he did uh, a few months back, and that's a bit of a shame for him. That said, Stu, what it meant was there yesterday, anywhere you want to get it to him, you can get it to him. And especially with. Henderson and Van Dijk love hitting him from any angle. You want to get into him on his chest, he fancies himself he's going to win it. You want to, if you go, you need to go a little bit higher, he's going to try and flick a header into someone. You put it anywhere where he can try and get it under control with his feet, he's more than happy to do that. Put his body in the way. You know, for me, that is part of why he is, he, he could be so important for this Liverpool side is, I think, more so than Jota uh, and more so than Mane has been across the course of this season. He's just a constant outlet in that area of the pitch. Yeah, I think he's a different, potentially a different level than the two players you've described. When, and when we're talking about Sadio Mane and what he's achieved for this club, that's that's some statement, um, it, it, you know, if, if that comes anywhere near to being true. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really hard to pick any faults in this game at this point. Um you know, he, he he seems as tough as old boots. You know, he's he can hold it up. He's he, he goes wandering with the ball. He brings others into play. I mean, even the um, the one near the end where Klopp seemed to have a go at him, telling him to pass. Um, he tried to he tried to put Jota in. Yeah, he was. He? Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, Klopp obviously just couldn't see that from the from the angle. Um, and I, I think you, you know, could yes. possibly have done it a stride earlier as well. If you yeah. want to be really forensic, like a real bell end, you could possibly <laughs> have done it a stride earlier. And they keep it up brilliantly for but it, by I the way. Think, he anticipates he's going there and he sweeps yeah. it. I think we're at that point, though, with him where any kind of critique, and I include myself in this, it's pure bell entry to find the critique. You know what I mean? It is pure. <laughs> you, work like, hard. you know, we are having to work hard to do it, and we're, at, we're, we're aspiring to perfection for, uh, from him because that's the levels, you know, he's, he's come close to as he's, as he's hit the ground running. So I'm so excited to see what he does next season really am mentioned there about the idea of Mo Mane as an outlet and hitting Ma and Mane mm -hmm. and that maybe it's not been quite as we'd like this season on the left hand side I think he looks astoundingly good through the middle I think he looks like an outlet all the time and that, that means you're playing against three of them if he mm -hmm. picks all three with Diaz with Salah again a different type of player a different type of threat but someone who needs to be constantly defended and now Mane in the middle I think every single game we've seen him there I think he's got got better at the nuts and yeah. bolts of it and to me that's the that if I was a, an opposition sort of player, that'd be what'd be concerning me. He's working this out and he's improving yes. as he's going, and then he's got everything else. And you can see it in real time. Like yes, like, uh, yesterday he was doing the Bobby bits, and I was so pleased mm -hmm. because it's like it's all he's taken to this new role. It's not like he's we don't know how he feels about it, whether he, he wants it to stay out there or whether the, he knows that this is a better chance for him in the team. He sees what Luis Diaz is doing. He sees the way that everyone's kind of gravitating towards him, but. He hasn't kind of looked like he's, he's he's not happy with it. He's kind of taken on the challenge. He's growing in it. And I do think there are certain parts of this role that we kind of take for granted. Like just a simple thing, like you say, of holding up the ball. When he's playing on the left, he's got the touchline to help him. He's only really got to look in one direction when he's working out who's going to potentially come for him on the ball. When he's in the middle, he's got to be on both shoulders all the time. He's got so many defenders moving in front of him, so many attackers moving around him. He's got to work out how he's going to pass this to someone, the weight of the pass, where he's going to direct them to, and then where his next run's going. And that's a lot to take in at any split second that the ball might be coming towards him. But he is working it out. And the beauty of it is that he, while he's working it out, he's been scoring goals. So 
So his confidence has always been high. He's never felt like, oh, bloody hell, I'm never going to get this. He's still like, you know, okay, every every game I feel closer, every game I feel closer. And so it does kind of present an issue in terms of the rest of the season is that are we going to see him more in the middle now or is this just an issue where we had Jota and Bobby out? But if Jota and Bobby are both full fitness... Do we still see that Mane play more when it's I thought I thought it was interesting since it looked like a bit of a 50-50 split between him and Jota as to who was left and who was central. I, I actually would prefer... I'm, I, I always love when we say, when everyone says, well, the, the, the trick here is movements and interchanging. I feel as though when it's all brilliant, that's the trick. When you've got to go through tough periods in games, yeah. actually, I think everyone just knowing what their job is is no bad thing. So No, I agree. And so now he's logged enough time to really say he does know his job in this now. But then... For example, say for Arsenal, say if Jota's now fighting fit, Jota plays very well against Arsenal, they don't like playing against him. Do you give him a break? Do you think, okay, you've done well in this? Does he Is he happy with that? Or do you say, okay, you can go back to the left, but then it's Diaz? So again, positive problems for the manager, but I do think he's given him a bit of another lease of life to have this extra role. Well, I, I, like, I like the idea, Sean, of maybe Mane being you know, when Salah's unavailable, goes off injured there, that Mane can't go and pull right. Mm. I think it's fine in theory. I actually thought we were we were just a little bit poorer after that happened. I think there's an element of managing the game out because it's 2-0 at that point, but I did feel as though, you know, we, we lacked a little thing through the middle of the pitch when Jota went central and Mane went right. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think um, I think just on Mane central, I think it looks, again, not like the Diaz thing, it looks really exciting for the future because I think that could be somewhere where he finds himself playing for the rest of his career at Liverpool and being really good at it as well. I think it's a testament to the squad that and that and the competition within the squad that he's doing as well as he is because I think like a lot of the like a lot of times with with this team and this squad and this management, um, a lot of things happen because of injuries. So you know you touched on it there. Mane's gone central. You know pro, a, a large reason has been because Jota and Firmino have both been out and, and it's sort of been a, a victim of circumstance with that. But actually, he's got himself there. Diaz is on the wing, performing as he is. And Manny's thinking, I better perform where I'm playing here if I want to stay in this team. And I think that knowing that he's got Firmino and Jazza coming back, breathing down his neck there, obviously desperate to play, I think that's just helped him and, and pushed his game on even more because he is laying on the job. But I thought yesterday was the best we've seen him down the middle, yeah. and it's clear to see. And I, and I just think, you know, knowing the, the type of character that Manny is, knowing the way he sort of applies himself in this team and wants to keep his space no, no matter what. Because um, we talk about him having a dip this season, you know, He's, he's scored. He's been. It's arguably one of his best seasons for Liverpool, and he's had the dip. So, so I think. Um, I think for me, Mane down the middle is, is really exciting. It's a new lease of life. I want to stew. A change can be as good as a rest, and and I think he was more odd than anything else off the left at times this season. More sort of, I think, just finding finding bits of it a little bit difficult. I think also at some sort of point, sides have played against you enough. They've got enough data to maybe know a trick or two. He looks to me like he's flourishing. I mean, Mo, Mo, Mo was asking the question as to whether or not he's enjoying it. He comes across to me as though he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does look like he is. He look he looks really, really content and happy with himself at the moment. I think, um, and I, I think Afcon as well as experience today yeah. will, will, will will no doubt have a, a part to play in that. It's given him a boost. But when you look at it, I mean, I text, I messaged you didn't I after the game, Neil, just to say that actually one of the most exciting things I thought about the game was Sadio Mane's performance. Just that you know we we're seeing that evolution. Mm. We're seeing him laying on the job as you just said, Sean, and and uh, it was definitely if, well, for me anyway, yeah. um, and and yourself, it was the best I've seen him play in that position. I think there will be times where Sadio Mane has thinkers in that position as well I, I think you know that will happen but uh, but what we can see now is a growing understanding of the role and when you look at it on paper as well there's no reason why he couldn't absolutely flourish in that role mm. because what you were saying uh, before Mo whereas usually 
he's tucked up against the left touchline. Well, now he's got the options, and if anyone knows how to play the options on both sides, it's Sadio Mane because he's he's played on the right, yeah. he's played on the left, he's played as a centre forward, he's strong as well, and he can hold it up. Um, and I think the last thing that a central defender who's marking wants, and this is the difference between him and uh, Firmino, the last thing that they want him to do is turn yeah. because if he turns, he's through and he's either through on goal or he's through at the other centre half. And you know, I think that other centre half will be quaking in the boots if Sadio Mane's running at them 20 yards from goal. Um, so I think he gives us a, a very, very different option for me. He this could well be the changing of the guard of the centre forward position because, like you, Sean, I can see him this him being the number nine now. Yeah. I can see him being actually the first one. Um, on the team sheet for, for the number nine position, really, because when Jota plays there, listen, you, you pay your money, you take your choice, and what you want out of a centre forward. Jota scores more goals than Firmino, and, and at the moment, uh, I think just just more than Mane. And there has been, a, he does pose a different threat. But I do think when you've got a team with wide forwards as we have who play so high and are proper goal scoring threats, then there has to be someone in the front three who provides that link to the midfield. There mm. has to be someone. And we've lost that when we when Jota plays, you know. And um I think we you know it's it's why some of us cry out for Firmino when Jota's played at times and it's not worked. Um but Sadio could well be the perfect in between. He could be the perfect hybrid and I'm really excited. So many of the top players in world football and we only have to look at one down the East Lanks. You know, they'll they've changed their position positions. They've evolved as players yeah. after as they've got older. Ronaldo started as a winger, he's now, you know, scored eight hundred and odd goals um, you know, as a, and as a centre forward, and that's the way you see. I think Sadio Mane um, offers a lot more to the team. He's a lot younger still than Ronaldo, um, but it's, it's really, really exciting to see this stage of his development. <laughs> the midfield, um, apart from closing the game out, Sean, uh, Kaiser's already been mentioned here, and it was another excellent performance from him, you know, to the point that the sub, it looked like he had a minor little problem with his hand, but you'd also hope in part it was about them trying to keep him as, as fit and fresh as possible because I think the be the main thing here is that it's a great moment for him to get a run of fitness, first and foremost, for him to be available. I'd like to see him start against Arsenal, but, you know, if the manager doesn't choose to choose him, he'll have his reasons, and, and at the minute the manager's managing his squad really, really well, but I just think at the minute any team sheet with him on, you're able to go, yep, yeah, this will be absolutely fine. Nabby knows what he's doing. Yep, I agree. I think um, the one thing that's always been a an, an issue for him has been getting injuries at the wrong time. And just when you look like you think, wow, we've got to play on our hands. This is the player that we signed, as everyone always goes on about when he plays a couple of good games and then he gets injured. I think now you're looking to see where he's had a, a decent run, a decent mm -hmm. in a proper season as well, where he's had, you know, he's, he hasn't been completely inconsistently, but he's been a lot more consistently than he has previously. And you're starting to see the reasons, again, the cliche, this is why we signed him and all that. But you are really starting to see how he fits in and how he plays. And I think the role that he's got now is, is, a, lot, is a lot better suited to, to him. I think he's had to play a few different roles in that midfield and I think that where, where he finds himself now um, he's always got you know a solid two behind him whether it be um, Henderson Fabinho or Fabinho and Thiago and I think um, I think it just bodes well f f as you say for, for, the, for the run of games that's coming I'd be happy to see him starting against Arsenal to be honest I think um, the one thing that it does give you when you've got a fit and fire and nabby is, is options um, and I think that that's, that that's no bad thing at this part of the season definitely It's marked to me uh, Mo that he's He's enjoyed the run 
I think it's fair to say, and I think he also he's got he's got a real sense, possibly for the for the first time properly. It's it's important not to gloss over his significance in two thousand eighteen nineteen. I think that there's a, a few players um, who are a bit left field, who are different mm-hmm. phases of that of that campaign turn up and, and bob up. You know, I, I always think everyone forgets the autumn of Dejan Lovren, for instance, in uh, in nineteen twenty. You know, in this little run from twenty eighteen, he, well, he doesn't. <laughs> but in this little run, there's, so, there's some players get get more of a run than we sort of our, our memory lets us. Let's just remember, for me, the thing about Keita here is he's been on the pitch for so much that's been good mm. for Liverpool this season. And I think that that's the most important thing. A lot of goodness has has had Naby Keita playing in the heart of the Liverpool midfield. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, I think I saw a stat on Twitter that says that his um, points, yeah. it's 2.69 yeah, points yeah, per game. And that's over the course of his whole Liverpool career. So that's pretty much winning every time he's playing. And... Even when you take into consideration the stop-start nature of the earlier parts of his career, that proves that when we have had him, he has been effective. And I think there was a period of time where he was in and out and the injuries meant that it was hard for him to say, "Okay, this is my place in this team. This is my place in the pecking order, so to speak. I think now having this longer period of time where he's in and around the squad, where he's coming in and he's actually contributing to games in the way he has, that's kind of been dissipated. And so he's more confident in himself. He's able to adapt to what he does because I remember when he first bought him from Leipzig, the problem was to a certain extent was that the highlights reels showed him doing everything. And that's because Leipzig's system allowed him to do everything, allowed him to be here, there and everywhere, just cleaning up everyone else's mess, dribbling through defenders and putting people I had in. I was a mix of Kante and Iniesta. Exactly. <laughs> because he has the ability to do all of those things. But obviously in our team, those things have to occur within the structure at the right times. And he was never really able to kind of uh, reconcile all of that now it looks like he can now when it's the time when we need to be spit solidity he can do the solid job he can do the genie job when we need to have a little bit more creativity we maybe bogged down in the game he can start taking players on he can start looking for those little pockets and feeding players in and everyone else knows what he wants to do now so I think that's a little bit better as well but we have to remember Nabi. we came into the season it was like oh it's a big season for Nabi Keita big season for him he has to decide if he's going to earn his new contract I think that question has been answered 100 games I mean that's um, that's snuck up hasn't it it's been a strange Liverpool career yeah. um, but I always I, I think I said that on a show not so long ago when, whenever we Naby plays I think to get the best out of him I think you have to pay him two from, from three of Thiago Henderson and Fabinho mm-hmm. there's got to be, for me he plays his best football when he's got that kind of um that buffer behind him, you, you know, and I think it gives him the license and the confidence to go and express himself. But what's been really interesting over the last few weeks as well is he's been doing a more simplified job, hasn't he? He's just been doing, uh, there, there's been less onus on him to create. Mm-hmm. Um, and might, that might be a partly in the addition of Diaz down that side as well. And possibly Manny through the middle. Mm-hmm. I think, Stu, well, just, just on him in general, mentioning there the idea of uh, the game against Arsenal. I think the, the, one of the shifts that I think's happened over the course of the campaign, and I think you're alluding to it to a degree, is... I feel the points average thing has in part been because I think in the past the manager's picked his games for him a little bit. Uh, he's been more likely to be on the pitch when Liverpool feels that they're going to have even more of the ball. At the minute, it feels as though he'll be trusted and should be trusted, I hasten to add, in every single circumstance. You know, at the minute, that, that's where he is for me at the minute. I'm, as I say, I would start, I, I worry that Henderson's got a lot of football in his legs uh, so far over the course of this season by the normal sorts of standards of Henderson. He's, I think he's he's, he's our joint highest appearance holder um, for, for outfield, I think I'm right in saying, in the league. 
over the course of the campaign. You know, you, you, you end up sort of with Henderson if you're not careful. You don't want to lose him. You maybe need to manage him a little bit. And I also think it's a good message to the rest of the squad. I think Henderson's been excellent since he was benched in the San Siro, don't get me wrong. But I think it's a, I think seeing that everyone has to take their turn is no bad lesson for this Liverpool squad at the moment. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't matter if you have the armband or not. It doesn't matter how much you earn or not. You know, it should. I think the, that uh, equality across the squad, uh, in terms of hierarchy, is is really fundamental to the way the culture that they, they have at, at the club. And I think if there's any threat to that, mm. it should be addressed fairly swiftly. Uh, and that's p- potentially moving on to other things. But um, you know, in terms of in terms of Wednesday, if if Liverpool's midfield consisted of Thiago, Fabinho, and Keita, and we we had uh, Henderson on the bench. I've got no problem with that. I, 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 you know, I think to, to me, it's actually a toss of a coin between Thiago and Henderson for that for that um, right-sided midfield berth really for, for for Wednesday. And I think either one has its as its as its pros. I think it, you know it could be swung either way. Um, but I think I think Thiago's had sufficient rest now. He's you know he, he's been in out for, for for a couple of games, hasn't he? And I think uh, I think going away from home. To Arsenal, it's really, really tough, really important game, possibly the most important game in world football on Wednesday night. <laughs> um, I think, I think you know, having a play with his now some control, you know, will be really key. Uh, okay, just quick on that. Sorry, uh, Henderson hasn't made the most league appearances. Van Dijk, uh, Becker, and Salah have all got twenty six, but Henderson has played the most, made the most appearances so far this season. All competitions with thirty nine. Uh, nearest to him is Jota with thirty seven, and then Van Dijk with thirty six. Uh, okay, um, wanna. Um, touch on the centre back just very quickly. Matter for the goal got mentioned. Sean Virgil's just amazing at everything. It's there was the little flick header back yesterday that I literally went to bed thinking about. <laughs> just to the goalkeeper when the, 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 a, a slightly wicked cross comes in and Virgil just angles it, guides it safely into the, his goalkeeper's hands. You wouldn't even think to do it, and there he is. He is. Every game, he just does something that's breathtaking. Yeah, I don't think he's real, you know. I don't, <laughs> I don't think he's real. He's just um, it, the the recovery from the injury um, has been spoken about a little bit, but I don't think you know it can be underplayed how how like impressive he's been. Because um, he, you know, start of the season, he's, he's feeling himself back in, which is fair enough. You know, you allow anyone with the, an injury like that to feel himself back in. But because you know, we spoke about minutes played and appearances and stuff. You know, there is that sort of. It doesn't matter if you've got the arm on. Doesn't matter who you are. You know, we can we can chop and change it unless you're Van Dijk. Because I think that Van Dijk, you know, he, he plays every game. He has to play every game, and he allows he he, allow, he, he gives you the option to to rotate the other centre centre back because you're playing with the Van Dijk, so you're mm-hmm. always going to look that good. Um, I think he's just absolutely unbelievable, to be honest. And I think he's getting better, if that's even possible. You know, every game as we're playing at the moment, you know, his leadership quality. Even you look at interviews that he's doing with other players in the team. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like everything about him is just. Like, I, I, I reckon that video should be winning a BAFTA. Sort that out. It's really funny what you said earlier, uh, Stu, about um, Joel being the quarterback. Because I said, Oh, did he read my piece where I said Virgil was a quarterback? It was like, No, no, he clearly didn't. Um, <laughs> but I, the thing about that is that we have the best attacking defense that I've potentially ever seen. Like, and all five of them have their own unique elements to it. I mean, obviously we know all about Trent and his delivery, but his central stuff. Robertson was doing the central stuff as well yesterday, I noticed. Like there was one moment where we were on the counter-attack and our central midfield- He just went number nine. Yeah. Like well, our central midfield three was Trent, Robertson and Diaz. (coughs) And they had Salah and Mane ahead of them. And I was just looking at it. And the thing about it was, it wasn't just the fact that 
he just happened to find himself there is that he did an overlapping run from fullback through inside straight through the middle and he at no point thought oh maybe I should look and make sure there's someone behind me because he knew there was and, and that's that's our most orthodox defender <laughs> like, yeah, in, exactly in and and the Virgil thing like part of the thing I wrote in the piece is the way that he kind of sets the table for our attack because when he's passing it around in the back he doesn't just pass it to one guy pass it to the other guy he basically he, he, he looks towards Trent as if he's going to pass to Trent and then he passes it sideways and he's watching the opponents to see what they would have done if he'd made that pass and then he's calling out to everybody else he basically is doing the quarterback job where he's reading a defense and like running decoy runners everywhere and it happens a lot in the first 15 20 minutes of a game where we're feeling out how they're trying to defend us and then from there we can kind of set the table of how we can best counteract it but that's why I think it's so important that he plays every game because that role is really hard to replicate and I think that when we have so many good defenders as we do like you say Sean we are in a ability where we can rotate the others which by the way is the other reason why I think Joe Matter's been so good mm. is because we haven't had to have him on the pitch yeah. at times we have been able to keep him fresh so we are at the point where we've got an embarrassment of riches and we've literally not even talked about Joe Gomez yet. So I think in terms of a defensive structure, it allows us to be so more confident because when you watch Fabinho, for example, sometimes you think, wow, he's really aggressive on the front foot. He's like winning the ball like 20 yards beyond the center circle of the opponent. And you're thinking, wow, our defensive midfielder, how is he doing that? It's because he's got Van Dijk behind him. And even if he's out of position, he's like, okay, well, he'll catch him up. And he normally does. He normally does, indeed. Uh, strength and depth is un unbelievable. I mean, you can reflect on who's not on the bench yesterday, Sean, before you'd even look on the bench. Just quick, I think that Liverpool, you know, given the competitions that we're in now, obviously that's great news. But also just given the start of next season, I think it's, I don't think people have entirely got their head around it yet that with the World Cup taking out the time out of the season it takes in November and December, I sort of worked it out that from the first week of September with only one international break up until when that World Cup starts, Liverpool will be playing a league or a Champions League game every week. To contextualise that, the third round of the League Cup is down to be the 9th of November, i.e. the last bit before the before the World Cup starts. So it, there's not even a break where there's a League Cup game and you can therefore play mm -hmm. play some play some young players. You know, this is, if you, if ever there's a time to to have a lot of quality mm -hmm. footballers, it is right now. Yeah, I, I hadn't. Um realise that about the World Cup to be honest I think it's a good point um, one thing I've been, that's been in the back of my mind um, as we've sort of clicked into gear if you like since since the, the turn of the year has been um, the year before 13-14 when we signed Coutinho and, and Sturridge in January and we build that momentum up for mm -hmm. the, that back end of the season even though we weren't in the, the race for anything then or the hunt for anything then it really sets us up for the, for the following season and I, I think I'd like to I'd like to think the strength that, that we've got now doing the rotation now get, getting everyone to be you know there's no new signers that you're waiting to bed in um, you can just run straight into next season and be, you know, quality week in week out. I think it's this then uh, throws us onto the the seller contract question, Stu. In that, for me, there's more than enough games for everyone uh, at the moment. I wouldn't be eager whether seller signs a contract or not. To be quite frank with you, but um, I wouldn't be eager to see every anyone move on in in the summer before you've had a proper look at what you think next season looks like because as I say it's it's going to be intense for, for the Champions League teams it's going to be I, it could be a mad year where someone who's not a Champions League team can take a real run at it I think because if you've if you've got a week between games you're going to see the wear and tear I think on the Champions League teams but we don't want that to be Liverpool and it was interesting I thought the manager was deliberately philosophical then you've got Salah's agents putting himself centrally in amongst all of this 
Um, I'd like Liverpool to be getting that situation sorted out, not least because I do think it could become a little bit of a distraction for one or two if they're not careful. But the flip side of this is that obviously it's um, it's a lot of money and his, his contract is up and he'll be 31 the day his contract's up. Yeah, I've been back and forth on this. I, th- I think it's it's pretty nuanced in the sense of well, there's there's two parts really to the to to the question you kind of you're asking really, and it's you know first of all, do you want um, Liverpool to give Salah a contract no matter what on the terms that he wants, and if not, when are you going to let him go? Are you going to sell him or are you going to let him renounce his contract for the following year? And and for me, I've found myself more and more. And particularly, it's been sharpened since the emojis from his <laughs> agents. He's not even his agents, is he? He's a solicitor, but you know he he is the de facto agent, I suppose. And I think I'm now in a position where there's no one bigger than the club. As much as I'd like Mo Salah to stay, and I hope he does. I hope he spends the rest of his career there. I hope he comes, you know, ambassador for the club in the future. I hope mm-hmm. he's there um, and, and is a permanent part of, of the furniture. But ultimately, I don't want the club blackmailed. And you only have to look around world football now, around club ownership at the very elite top level. Who's doing well? Who Whose model at, at, at the elite level, at the top end of the Champions League and the top end of the Premier League, whose ownership model is safe, is well-structured, it seems to be efficient? It's ours. Mm-hmm. I don't look around at any other structure now and think I'd want that. And I think recent times I've, dem- I've brought that to the focus even more. So Liverpool's an extremely well-run club with, with, with individuals who, yes, have made mistakes, but by and large, they listen and they've made very, very sensible decisions mm. that have brought Liverpool back to the, the absolute summit of world football. Um, if Mo Salah wants to leave the summit of world football, then there's only one place you're going, and that's down. I noticed with um, some level of uh, disappointment this idea that was leaked out to Romano from it would seem from from his from his agents that Salah would consider going elsewhere in the Premier League um, which is obviously a kind of city threat isn't it a shadowy little underhand uh, threat I, I just don't want Liverpool to get involved in this and if Liverpool have made the best offer they can make and if their judgment is that going any further will put at risk the culture and the financial stability of the team who have got to the summit of world football, then they shouldn't do it. They should offer more what they can offer him. They should make it as persuasive as possible. But if he decides to move on or his agent decides, you know, that's not going to be acceptable, then I think we should all shake hands. And I'm more and more of the point where I think, well, we'll see him out his contract. Because I'll tell you what, his final year at Liverpool... (laughs) He scored about eighty goals, by the way. Um, you know, at that point, when I, I want Dixie's record under threat. Well, well, I was going to say he'll only have one year to do all those records, wouldn't he? So I'll have to. And we'll have paid what about 35, 40 million for a player that we'll have got five years out of. Got to the top of world football. He scored all kinds of goals. You know, if, if Liverpool end up shaking hands at the end of that with him and holding our head up high and feeling very, very confident in that we've maintained the structure, so we can. Re- continue to be the best in world football then I'm fine with that because at some point in the future Mo Salah will leave Liverpool at some point and whether that's when he's 31, 32 or whether that's when he's 35, 36 it's going to come and Liverpool will get over that and will move forward I think we are in a strong position in terms of 
where the rest of our squad sits and all those kind of things. And this is almost like the pl- that playing out in real time. So that means that we aren't necessarily going to just acquiesce to whatever he wants. As much as it feels like the way he's playing, it seems like madness to not just do what he wants, give him whatever he wants. But that's not the way football works. It really isn't. And I have been kind of philosophical about this whole thing until recently. And the two things that made me change my mind is one is that they appear to be markedly far apart, not just far apart, far apart. You know, you can call there's there's room for compromise, but it's markedly far apart, which says to me that this is something where not a lot has changed in the last two to three months, which does start to remind me very much of the Genie and the Emre Chan situations, which would suggest that there's been some kind of uh, consistency in how Liverpool deal with these things. The part that I'm really concerned about as well is this whole other Premier League team thing, because if if that has been leaked by Salah's side, then that's a massive mistake, because that's the first thing that Mo Salah's done, which would make Liverpool fans think, Hang on a minute. I don't like that. I don't like what you've done there. All of the other things, even asking for money, it's like, well, you can look at what he's done. He's owns this money. Like, people aren't going to... Everyone's really sympathetic to the idea that he becomes massively the highest paid player at the club. Yeah, I, I think everyone is really sympathetic. And if he's, if he's in the uh, meeting saying, I want to be the highest paid player in the Premier League, I am the best player in the Premier League, Liverpool fans will be like, I get that. You can't argue with him for that. And if that is the ultimate reason why it comes apart, you can see it being potentially... Well, I don't want to say amicable, but like a situation almost like Coutinho where everybody feels like they're happy. Admittedly, Coutinho wasn't happy as it turned out, but he felt like he was when he left. But I don't know where we are in this because there's still so much about this and we don't actually know. We're still speculating on. So, so, so for me, I I don't understand that one man, and I mean this Rami fella and all this, can be so out of touch with everything. <laughs> And yeah. be in that position that he's in. So in a week where you know probably the the reason why football wages are why they are in a week where Roman Abramovich got sanctioned and essentially yeah. loses everything, and yeah. now the away team can't travel. You know they've got they've got to drive since they're in Airbnbs and stuff. Um, you know in a week where that's happened, he's doing laughing emojis at mm. Klopp because Klopp's you know answered the question and it's quite amicably as well. By the way, he hasn't answered it in a in a way that's a, a way that would would trigger you. I don't no. think it would. I think um to be some sort of such as that in the midst of a title race by the way where we're fighting on all fronts where Salah's adored by everyone mm. and then to leak the because let, let's be honest he's leaked that to, to Romano hasn't he and he's leaked the Premier League line in there he, he's done it because he's obviously in a position where he, he wants something to happen he wants mm. something to move you know there might be blocked stuck in negotiation you know so, so be it but it's so dangerous for him for but, his client but, no, but I think on all of this I think it, I think becoming the sense that something's not good but the flip side of this is that it's all to different audiences and I think that's the bit that we miss because we mm. see it solely through the lens of Liverpool supporters who love Mo Salah I hasten to add and think he's in, in all of our, I will just sort of venture our, all of our all-time Liverpool 11s being responsible for so much brilliance at the club. Mm. But I think that that's not the audience that they're trying to, sp- well, that he's trying to speak to. And I think that's the bit that's going to make this tricky, mm, yeah. is that there's not just the the idea, you know, for instance, if you try to, if you, I don't think you can draw a parallel on this one to the Owen one, because there was never the idea of a full-on global audience wherein there was also within that a, a specific sort of regional characteristic you know let's be clear about this he's he's a hero to egyptians and he's a hero to mm, the arab yeah. world and he, he, you can be talking to them as much as you're talking to the three thousand people who were at brighton yesterday yeah in fact you're probably talking to them more mm. and i think that that's why this is going to 
become odd, I think, from a Liverpool supporter point of view, from the idea of not just the idea of match going supporters, by match going supporters, I mean people who come to one game a year. Mm. From the those from the, that point of view, from that huge sort of worldwide uh, following. There's that audience, and that's a massive one, but there's also this one over here, which is about to stand in elsewhere in the world. And I think that that's what's going to make this really, really complicated and might actually make it a little bit unpleasant, and that's what I'm worried about. I, I, I get that, and, and you, you know, that, that's what's on, but Mo Salah's a man who sort of, you look at, he holds himself to the highest standards, you know, and you look at, go on, sorry. No, go on. He holds, himself, he holds himself to the highest standards and, you know, everything around him, you, you read stuff about it in his house, he's got like almost like a, a therapy hospital room for recovery and stuff and all of a sudden it feels like he's got this man around him who holds himself to the lowest of standards. But the, and to me, the, 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 the conflict is Mo wants what he got yesterday from the away end. Mm-hmm. So that's where there is this conflict where yeah. what Salah, what Salah wants this, this is great, I love this. He couldn't have wanted it more yesterday. You know, when he's Scores that penalty, points at someone in the in the front at the front of the crowd, yeah. uh, and I'm not quite sure who, but he, but it's not like an aggressive one. It's like yeah, yeah this for you this, yeah. and that's why I think there is, and and that will always, and this is why I think for these superstar footballers, especially Stu, we've got this regional, huge regional thing happening as well. They themselves, and I've always praised and, and, and will continue to do so, the way Salah's identity is this remarkably complex thing. But there's a massive chunk of it that is also Liverpoolian. So you've got the agent over here who's, who's going to it's going in these other directions, but Mo Salah's a Liverpoolian. Mm. And what happens in that away end yesterday at Brighton, he wants them singing his name. He wants to know that he's absolutely adored. His name was sung. That's what we all want. And that's why, as I say, this could become weird. It could be. And it was interesting that you brought Michael Owen into it before uh, because I was thinking... Very similar that in terms of when you compared Michael Owen to Robbie Fowler, there was there was, there was no doubt at the time who the cop loved more, mm. and it was largely because Robbie felt like ours, whereas Michael from a, the youngest age felt like a global superstar, or he saw himself as that, uh, as unmarketed himself as that. And I'm not saying that Salah necessarily markets himself like that, but he is a genuine mm. global star. Much I mean, more so than no one ever was. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, he's from he's from a different continent. He's an absolute hero there. If someone said to me that in 20 years, he's the president of Egypt. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised, you yeah. know, when he was leaving a very, very different kind of regime. I wouldn't be be surprised. Um, so I, I think that there is that to it. What I'm worried about, though, with this, I'm, and I'm, I pray that this doesn't happen, to be honest, because the the agent stroke lawyer, he's such a buffoon, he's such a clown, and we have seen some evidence of that before. That we're, we're potentially in danger of of that that complete breakdown that we saw with Sterling and Sterling there was one thing that's, that that happened with Sterling and his agents that I th- I felt was the straw that broke the camel's back and that was the inter- the TV mm. interview done that I think was with with the BBC and it was it was a terrible interview really what I felt in terms of how that reflected on the club it just didn't sit right it it spoke of clear divisions mm-hmm. um really and how he saw his future going forward which is fine you know it's his prerogative um but once that happened it became very diff- difficult I felt for you know a backward step from either side and I'm a little bit worried that that global status that that Mo has, and that he does have to reach out to other audiences as well, could lead to him to being persuaded by the agents to admit to doing an interview that could lead us down a path that that we can't step back from. And I almost feel like we're in the early stages mm. of, of heading down that path now. There's those early shots being fired. Klopp has come out and said, "Listen, the club have done what they can," and the agents laughed at it. Yeah, it's not really, it's not what you want at all. I. 
I'm concerned about those things as well. I just think, going back to what you're saying about what Salah wants from us, from the crowd, what he wants is the love. It's really difficult to think about these machinations going on behind the scenes and then to look at how he's been on the pitch in the last three or four games. He's still working as hard as he is. He's still a part of the team in team patterns. It's just the finishing. We've seen him hit the post, both posts, hit the crossbar. He's snatching the things. And then you saw his reaction to the goal. It was a penalty. He smashed it down the middle. What do we say about people when they smash it down the middle? Maybe there's a lack of confidence there. So it was getting in his head. He hadn't scored mm. three games. He was relieved. Everybody in the team kind of came around him. They all knew he was relieved. They all knew that it was starting to weigh on him. But what happens is when you've got this kind of impasse is that from the outside, we all inject our own narratives into it. So you think, oh, well, obviously he's been struggling because of all these conversations. Mm, absolutely and, not. I'd be amazed if that was the case. No, no. Yeah. I, would, no I'm not, I know you would as well. People, no, 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 I'm people not, do do that, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I'm, saying, I'm not saying that it's true. I'm just saying that this is where the conversations start to go. And then when you throw into the whole, oh, well, he would be happy to go to Man City thing, then the next thing that happens, say he misses a couple of chances in a big game. Then you start to hear the narrative in certain circles starts yeah. change and be like and these are the things where it's like it starts like you said when you get to the Sterling situation it never it never starts big it kind of bubbles and bubbles and bubbles and yeah. then there's a big thing and I'm like you I want to avoid that as much as possible but whether or not that means that he has to come out and kind of run interference between what Abbas is or isn't tweeting I don't know, but he hasn't looked like he's going to do I, that. No, but I also think that on this, what everyone just needs to do is just get to the end of the season, least said the better, and ideally mm. come to an agreement on the contract. Uh, you know, that is, that's still, that all that can still happen and hopefully will still happen, and I think it will still happen as well uh, in general on this one. I think they'll find a way through it. Uh, all right, then, Arsenal away. Um, they're in decent nick. Uh, I think it's slightly overstated, the, the form that they're in, um, but they... They are able to to give sides a game. They get themselves a nil nil at Anfield. Mo, um, what are you expecting from this one? The thing to point out is we're recording this before they played against mm. Leicester, and that also means that they've got markedly less recovery than we have with a smaller squad. Yeah, and I think until we see a team sheet of how they're going to set up against Leicester, that might answer a few questions as well. Because if he's kind of holding a couple back then maybe for that battle, then you can see how they're viewing it. But they can't afford... Leicester's, Leicester's a bigger game for them, I think. Well, I mean, this is the question. They are more competing in theory with Leicester, but because they have all these games in hands, there's lots of pressure on them to actually go out and deliver with them. So you'd look at Liverpool, who have won eight Premier League games in a row, and think, well, yeah, it's going to be tough for us to get one of those to get a win in that one so then all of the other games become more important so we focus on the Leicester one that's what I, I yeah. that's what I'd hope yes but like I'm saying until we see the team yeah. sheet of Leicester you're right. you're right I don't know that for sure I suspect that will be the case but also Arsenal have come close in their minds to be or getting a result against Liverpool and yet haven't so they'll probably be thinking about that in kind of in the same way that we were thinking about Brighton because in post-match, Andy Robertson mentioned Brian as well. So I do think these kind of things do matter to players when like, you feel like you've, you owe someone one and you want to go out and prove it. So Arsenal themselves will want to go out and play well. But I do think this is another game whereby if we can get into a strong position early, we can control it and we can almost strangle Arsenal down because they have got bigger and better games outside of us, I think. Um, what are you looking for from or expecting from a team? Sean, I'm not expecting a ton of changes. I suspect it might be two or three. It wouldn't surprise me if it feels like Firmino comes from nowhere and starts. 
Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me to see Jota either because I think, um, you know, as you're just saying about players and, and teams and stuff, I think the, the performance he put in the League Cup will, will be on everyone's mind mm-hmm. and, and particularly Arsenal defenders' mind. So um, it wouldn't surprise me to see Jota. Um, I think um, we touched on it earlier around Naby. I think be, I think Naby plays again. Um, I think him, him coming off, whether that's precaution or whatever, um, I think I think he, he, he fits in and, and it pro- possibly is Henderson that, that misses out. Um, just because I notice he has been managing his minutes a little bit more lately, and you know it's not done him any harm, so I don't mm-hmm. see why why he wouldn't do that again. Um, yeah, I, I think it's probably Diaz who, who sort of you know for all the superlatives and, and how well he played. I think he may, maybe looks to manage him on Wednesday, and he goes with you know Jota, Mane, Salah um, in, instead. You know, and, and looks to bring him on from the bench. So either way, it's it's good that we've got these options. Mm-hmm. I think. Um. I, I think you've got to keep an eye on the game after as well, the Forest game. And I, I fully expect in the Forest game, the front three to be Jota, Firmino and, and probably Salah. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if midweek then he just goes with the same front three. Um, I hope he does. Uh, I can see the Firmino shout though because he's got a he's got a history of playing great against Arsenal. Mm. Uh, so if that happened, I wouldn't be too upset. I, don't think that, I, I was thinking that you might see Firmino. I think that because he doesn't get fifteen twenty against Brighton, it makes it a little less likely. Mm. That, but that's my overall mm. sort of Firmino. Where I've ended mm. up on a Firmino position is that I, I think that it makes it more likely he comes off the bench though. I think he'd probably be involved against Arsenal because mm. of what you say because he's got a good record against them. I'm kind of leaning towards you, Sean. I think the whole idea of um, having Diaz to have that impact from the bench just for this one game, I think it's kind of, it might be quite tempting because maybe because Arteta would assume that we would just keep him rolling because of how he's been playing. So it might actually have, have make, make a bit of a change to their game plan. But <clears throat> yeah, whoever doesn't start will finish. And I think it's the same for Thiago and Henderson. I think, I think as well, oh, this, when you look at on paper, our remaining fixtures, this is one of the most challenging ones. Mm. Arsenal quietly yeah. have been developed by Arteta. Uh, or are continuing to uh, are still developing into one of the most exciting young teams, dynamic mm-hmm. young teams in the league that are, that are a long way off the finished article, but they are a threat. Players like Martinelli, um, you know, really dynamic. Saka, you know, uh, Liverpool have got a long-standing interest there, and, and you could go on and name several others. That they, they are a threat, and we're going to their ground uh, under the lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, for me, I think Liverpool should be putting out the best eleven. Go and win that game. Worry about everything else afterwards. So I. I Personally, as I said, I'd go with the same front three and Thiago would come in probably for Henderson in midfield yeah. and I'd go with the same back four. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you about the challenge, by the way, because I think um, regardless of how Arteta perceives it and um, which to be the bigger game, whether it's Leicester or, or some Wednesday, you know, you can guarantee guarantee when the players get on that ground on Wednesday night, they're playing against Liverpool, yeah. it's going to be the biggest game of their yeah. however long that they're going to play. With a scalp. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think, you know, look how, look how far they push City. They were really unlucky against mm-hmm. City. I think... Um, you know, for us, the, the key to our success over the last however many years has been not taking anything for granted and been really one game at a time. And I think if we can go in with that mindset on Wednesday, it'll be be really important. Okay, gonna win. Yeah, hope so. <laughs> Any way we can. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it and just give me those three points. Yeah, it's very much about the three points against Arsenal. Everything you need in the build up to it on the Anfield wrap. Uh, there'll be a team talk this week hosted by Josh Sexton. All the little bits and pieces that we normally do for you all the way through the week as well. A review looking back on that game against Brighton. Uh, and uh, everything that you need from a video point of view too. Bacon Bussy tomorrow morning followed by the final word and all the stats, little bits and pieces and a rundown on what to expect from Arsenal too. A uh, little headline figure. They're not very intense, uh, Arsenal. 
Um, I think we think they're more intense than they are. Uh, lowest pressures in the country. Really? Yeah, lowest, pre- lowest pressure regains, second lowest pressures. Lowest pressures is City, but they have the ball all the time. Is that is that because you think that they, um, they're really hitting teams well on the counter, so they're letting teams have the ball and just waiting for the mistakes and then hitting them um, with the pace? I don't know, uh, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a little look at that. I think it's more that he doesn't quite have the personnel to be able to do it. So, for instance, if you look at it, where he ends up in midfield, it's recently it's been Odegaard and Xhaka uh, with, part, with party through the middle of that midfield. So he, he, he sends Xhaka to the left and Odegaard to the right. And I don't think it suits... It doesn't suit... It, Xhaka probably thinks it suits Xhaka, but I don't think it suits Xhaka. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't suit Odegaard. And he has his full-backs. Uh, Tierney tends to go, but the right-hand ones tends to stay quite close. So I think all in, they're just, they're just happy to be a little bit passive. And he hasn't got loads and loads of strength and depth either. So I think it's more that and managing themselves through games rather than uh, going hell for leather. But we will see. We will see. But I think why that struck me as interesting is it's interesting to think about how when we prospered against them this season, it's often come at times where you feel like actually there hasn't been a lot of pressure on the ball. Mm-hmm. Right. So looking to pick those moments and going, okay, now now we've got it under control and we can turn and go. And hopefully we'll see that on Wednesday. It'll be hot mic'd uh, by the Anfield rap. John Gibbons is going to be doing that for you. So there'll be a hot mic on Wednesday night for that one uh, against Arsenal. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Motor Sean and to Stu. Uh, it has been the Anfield rap this week covering all sorts of ground. <laughs>